Welcome to another inspirational message by Pastor Ron Hammonds, Senior Pastor at Golden Triangle Church on the Rock in Beaumont, Texas. For more information about Church on the Rock and Ron Hammonds Ministries, visit cotr.com. God bless you this evening. Welcome to Golden Triangle Church on the Rock and welcome to our series tonight. We are continuing a series on the coming of the Lord. Let me tell you, Jesus is coming. Now, I know I often say that Jesus is coming for you in your lifetime, and that is true. He's coming for everyone in their lifetime, but at one point, He is going to come for everyone at one time. And I think that that coming is soon. People have asked me, you know, what day do you think Jesus will come? The Bible says we don't know the day nor the hour, but we should be those who understand the times and the seasons. We should know that Jesus has an appointed time to come. He is looking to the Father, and one day the Father will say, Go and bring your bride back here. And at that moment, the Bible says that there will come a shout, there will come a voice of the archangel, the trump of God, and it will signal the dead in Christ to rise and in we which are alive in a moment in the twinkling of an eye we will be changed and caught up to be with the Lord and there shall we ever be with the Lord that is a picture of what we call the rapture of the church and we believe that that will happen and I believe it will happen soon what does soon mean well uh, 1900 years ago as we began this series, we didn't begin it 1900 years ago, but we began it about something that happened 1900 years ago. This series on the coming of the Lord, uh, the first part of it was because we, we started studying the reason why the Apostle Paul wanted to broach this subject. It seems in about the year AD 52, give or take a few months, the Apostle Paul had written a letter to the church in Thessalonica and in writing this letter he mentioned to the believers in that church that Jesus was coming soon and that it would be like a thief in the night and it would it would uh, not overtake them uh, because they did not live in darkness but it would certainly be a surprise and a shock to many because Jesus would come in a moment in the twinkling of an eye well this caused some people to read it in such a way that it gave them concern and it was also being misquoted that along with some other things that were going on in that day to uh, to allow people to use what the apostle Paul had said to make people afraid that perhaps Jesus had already come. Uh, that gave rise to concern. And the Apostle Paul did not want the people uh, in Thessalonica, nor anyone, any one of us believers, the Apostle Paul did not want to leave us being afraid of the coming of the Lord or being afraid that it, perhaps we've missed it. It already happened. So he writes a second letter, 2 Thessalonians. And look what he says in 2 Thessalonians in chapter 2, verse 1. This is what we studied the first and the second part of our series. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of the Lord, 
coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by word or by letter as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come, as though it's past. Don't be afraid. Don't be soon shaken in mind about the coming of the Lord and our gathering together unto him. Don't let these things make you afraid and don't let anyone misuse the scriptures trying to manipulate you because of your common concern about whether or not you had missed the rapture. It was something in that day that was quite a divisive point in the church. Paul told these believers... It was not yet time for the Lord to come. There were a number of other things that needed to take place. And he began in the second letter, in 2 Thessalonians, uh, to explain the things that had to take place. You can go back and listen to those in part one and part two and part three of our series. Tonight we are beginning our part four by asking the question, why? Why? Last week we talked about it being the last hour and what we could expect and, and what God needed from us. This week we're talking about the question, why? Why? And that's what the Apostle Paul is going to offer to these believers. He's going to offer them an opportunity to look at the reasons why God is waiting and the reasons why one day he will wait no longer. Tonight, as we not only look at this Thessalonian letter, but also we will look at what John said. Paul wrote this letter to Thessalonica, in fact, First and Second Thessalonians, in about the year A.D. 52, as we've already said. Well, fast forward from there over 40 years, and now it's about the year 95. John, the only living, the last living apostle of the Lamb. John is elderly. He's called the elder apostle. And John sits down in about A.D. 95, 96, 97, 98, right in there. And he pins the book of Revelation, the gospel of John, and also the letters we have, which we know as 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And it's been... You know, over four decades since the Apostle Paul had told the Thessalonians that it was not yet time for Jesus to come, but the time it would come. Well, today it's been 1,900 years plus, and the only thing we can say is we are 1,900 years closer. John, the Apostle, when he wrote toward the end of that first century, John had seen a lot of things going on. In 1 John, the second chapter, in verse 18, John said, Little children, it is the last hour, as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming. Even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know it is the last hour. Here, 
This apostle John is declaring, we are not only in the last days, we are in the last hour. And in 1 John, the fourth chapter, in verse 3, he continues, every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is already in the world. Now he's already in the world. He's already at work in the world right now now again this is 1900 years ago the word of God agrees that the spirit of the Antichrist is already in the world at work this is the spirit by the way if you have been wondering the spirit of the Antichrist is that spirit behind the recent COVID-19 infectious outbreak certainly it is it is that spirit that is behind this dry run, if you will, because what we have been experiencing in the suffering of our population and, and the whole population of the world uh, is, is an attempt by the Antichrist to soften up his target and to, to get the world population to accept more stringent controls on everything from personal wealth to physical separation to spying on one another and you know even uh even uh, accepting the mark of the beast without concern these things have to be set up and that i believe is what we are seeing today right in line with the word of god right in line with what john expected with what the apostle paul expected right in line with what peter expected we can see that we are in the last hour definitely you know we're in the last minutes if not the very last seconds before the coming of the lord this should not make us afraid it should excite us but we should also realize we need to be motivated what would you do if you believed that you were in the very last days the last hours the last seconds before Jesus came to bring his bride home to him to rapture the church from off the earth. Well, the world has never seen a day like today, and neither has the church. We have never been in this place before. And I like what Pastor Casey said last week at the end of our message. Uh, he said this. He, he said, uh, I'm not shocked when the world acts like the world, but I am surprised when the church acts like the world. You know, I may not have gotten that exactly right, but that's close. I am not shocked when the world acts like the world, but I am shocked when the church acts like the world. We should not be shocked to realize that we are in the last hour. The devil knows that his days are short, and we as a church should also understand that our time is limited as well. Many people are dying, and many more are going to die, and many of those die without Christ. Many will die because of this worldwide crisis that we are in. Nations will not be able to provide the resources necessary Great famine, great hardship, great poverty, great loss is coming greater than what we have seen, perhaps greater than we have ever seen. As an unfolding result and the, the dynamics of this COVID-19 outbreak and a world shutdown, there's no doubt in my mind that 
trouble, more trouble than we have seen, is coming. In fact, it's confirmed throughout the Word of God. We read the book of Revelation together. We did a, a study on the book of Revelation, realizing that, that, that the world is bad and bad things are coming. But when things get bad, God gets good. These things, as the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica, these are not the things that should concern us. These are not the things that should make us afraid. These are not the things that, 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 that should make us fearful. Rather, these are the things that should motivate us, that should inspire us. This week, we have received calls for help from all over the world. People are praying for help. People are reaching out to God, and people are preparing for greater hardships to come. God has a long history of using nations to accomplish his will. But one, not one nation in history has ever served God's will for long. Israel, Judah, Persia, Rome, Germany, Spain, Portugal, England, the United States of America... We have all had our chance to be on the top of the heap, to be on the forefront of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, do you know that in the year 1493, the Pope divided the whole known world into two portions? To one portion he gave to the king of Spain, to the other to the king of Portugal, with, with only two mandates, explore and evangelize. And the king of Spain, King Ferdinand, along with Queen Isabella, with every ship that left on its way to the New World, the Americas, and their portion of responsibility, they sent a contingency of the clergy to evangelize the known world. Many nations have had their chances, had their opportunities. But no nation, not one, has continued to serve the Lord for long. Don't misunderstand me. I do not believe that what is going on with this COVID-19 is a judgment on the United States of America. Oh, no. I believe it's much bigger than that. I believe it is a prelude to God judging the whole world, without a doubt. Nothing this big happens without God being involved and without God working his plan. God does not have to cause bad things for bad things to happen because we are in a bad world filled with sin. The rulers of the darkness of this world and the powers, the principalities that exist want nothing more than to destroy every bastion of God. This morning, I read that crosses are being forcibly removed from uh, every place possible in China today. Forcibly removed because of their stability enhancement the stability movement for some reason they imagine that 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 crosses create instability among uh, the, the the masses you might say that sounds crazy as crazy as what america 
has recently done in its past by removing the Ten Commandments out of schools and, and out of courtrooms because they say that it, that, that it creates you know, a problems, that it, that it creates mental and emotional instability for a child to be exposed to the Ten Commandments? Come on. Do you see a world at war against God? I believe that we are in a prelude to the coming judgment of God upon the whole world. You can read about it in the book of Daniel, in the book of Zechariah, in the book of Revelation. Why, even in the book of Psalms, how, how nice, sweet, merciful King David, a worshiper of God, would write to us about the concerns he has about a world at war with God. It's going to figure into our message in a moment as we're going to be going to the book of Psalms. You can get ready, but make no mistake. In order to save a nation, the only way to save a nation is to introduce its people to Jesus. You can't save a nation by strengthening its political system or its military. You cannot you know, save a nation by strengthening its academics and we should or by turning to science and it's not that we need to resist science but science will not save us will not save our nation science will not uh, make one person enter into an eternity safe and secure in the arms of a loving God who gave his only son on the cross of Calvary for us the only way to save a nation is to introduce that nation those people to Jesus Christ you can call it the Nineveh Project. You see, God did not set out to save the city of Nineveh, but rather the people in the city of Nineveh. Because he understood that if the people of Nineveh were to hear of him and were to hear the message, get right with God, that they might turn to God. And when the people turn to God, uh, then that would cause Almighty God to move among the leaders and God could then save the nation if it repented. But it takes people to do that. And the one thing God needed was a preacher who would go to Nineveh and preach the Word of God. Not preach how bad Nineveh was, but to preach how good God was. And the one thing Jonah was afraid of is that when he preached a good and loving and forgiving Jesus, when he preached a God, when he preached a God who would forgive that people might turn to him. They might hear. They might want. They might be touched in their heart and turn to him. And when they did, he knew God would forgive them. Call it the Sodom and Gomorrah project. How that Abraham had, had hope because he knew what God would do. And he bargained with God. God, instead of destroying Sodom and Gomorrah, how about if you could find 50 righteous people, 50 people in that city, only 40, only 30, only 20, only 10. Could you just find a handful of righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah? And would you save them? And he knew the answer was, yes, I will. What a good God. What we need in our nation are people rising up and letting their light shine as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We who are called by his name will humble ourselves and pray and, and, and seek his face and turn from our wicked ways. He will hear. He will forgive. 
and he will heal our land. That's his promise. That's how we save the nation. Call it the Noah Project. Noah only had one message. It was get right with God. And if you do not, worse things are coming. You see, because we are in the last hour. Have you found the book of Psalms yet? Psalms chapter 2. And tonight we're talking about why. While you're finding Psalms chapter 2, allow me to read the verses that we ended our study with last week. We ended, uh, and and I told you I would get back to these uh, verses, and so this is me getting back uh, from last week. Acts chapter 4, it's where, where Peter and John had been arrested, and then they had been threatened, and then they had been let go. They went back to their company, and they told them, listen, we have been commanded not to preach or teach anymore in the name of Jesus. We are in, you know, in, in danger, in peril of losing everything, even our lives, if we do not obey uh, this civil religious leaders and stop preaching and teaching in the name of Jesus. And verse uh, uh, 25, uh, as they are praying, they said this, whoever is praying says this, uh, verse 24, Lord, you are God, verse 25. Lord, you are God, who by the mouth of your servant David have said, why do the nations rage? There's the question, why? Why do the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. Now, this was, a, this was an encouragement to Peter and John and the leadership of the church. Now, catch this picture. They have been threatened. They stand in, in jeopardy of losing everything they hold dear. And so they are praying to God, what should we do? And while they are praying to God out of the threats and the concerns that their nation has placed upon them and the situation that they are, 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 are approaching, and indeed soon they will be persecuted, uh, soon many of them will be killed, executed for the cause of Christ. But they are praying, what do we do as a church? What do we do as a people? And right when they are praying, God interrupts the prayer and the Holy Spirit comes upon the person that is praying and begins to speak the word of God, quoting the scriptures through that person that's praying. And this prophecy becomes a part of that prayer. And whoever is praying here begins to prophesy. And it's the Holy Spirit giving the word of God as courage and counsel and direction and comfort to a church that is just being established. Wow. This Psalms, of course, that they are quoting by your servant David, you said this. You know, how many times have we been praying and all of a sudden scriptures come as an answer from God and we begin to pray and quote those scriptures as though they, 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 they are a funnel through which God is pouring his spirit and strength and courage and counsel uh, you know, through us. This 
Psalms that, that they are quoting points to Christ and it points to the church age. It is specifically about the last days and the last hour that we are now firmly established in. And there has never been on planet earth a day like today when the whole world is in turmoil and confused and many angry, many hurt, many worried, many in hardships and hearts are open like never before. There are four voices in this psalms. That means that there are at least four perspectives. Each one, this psalm, Psalm 2, has 12 verses. And the first three verses, one person is talking. One voice, one perspective. The second three, another perspective. The third three, another. And the last three, another perspective. Let's look at this, if we would, and, and realize that, that uh, this asks a question that I have asked, that most likely you have asked, that prophets through the ages have asked. It's a question we have all asked. It's the question, why? The why? The first voice, I don't believe, is the voice of the nations or the voice of the world, as some believe. I believe this is the voice of the church. Listen to verses 1, 2, and 3. From the church's perspective. Why do the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together. They, they, they get together, they take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. You know, it's possible I could imagine that people who do not believe in God might rage against some of the rules that the Bible holds, some of the restrictions on life, some of the guidelines. I can imagine that people who do not believe in God, they don't care what he says. But how could anyone believe in God and take up arms against him, especially in concert National leaders, nations in concert together, deciding a national, an international, a world of nations conspiracy to take up arms against Almighty God and against His anointed saying we are not going to follow his dictates we are not going to follow his words we're going to to take their bonds and and break and cast off the bonds we don't care what god says we're going to cast away all of his cords from us wow that's beyond imagination but look around almost every nation has done it and now many are doing it together Verse 4, now we hear this writer, David, speaking from God's perspective. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. <laughs> God's laughing that the nations are taking up, you know, that the nations are plotting, that they are scheming to somehow become God themselves. And that's what the Antichrist wants. He wants to set up a throne so that he can get up on it and, and exalt himself above all that is called God and all that is God. And, and that's, that, that's what's being plotted. That's what's being planned is that, is, that, it, it, is that the Antichrist, the spirit of the Antichrist, wants to be in total control of everything and everyone. <laughs> 
and he doesn't like God and he doesn't like crosses and he doesn't like the Ten Commandments and he doesn't like Christians and he doesn't like churches <laughs> and he doesn't care a thing about you. But he who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. He's going to confuse them. Then God shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. What, what is he going to do in order to bring them uh, to, to some realization? Look in verse 6. Yet I, this is God speaking, I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. What is God saying? God is saying, I get to be the one that's going to choose who's king. And I have already chosen my king. I have set my king. You think you rulers of the earth, you're plotting, you're conniving, you're scheming together. You think you can cast off my cords. You think you can break my bonds. <laughs> I'll confuse you and I'll distress you and let me tell you what I'm going to bring such displeasure to you because the stone that the builders rejected the same has become the head of the corner I have set my king upon my holy hill he is my anointed son wow do you like this so far I do and this has been here for thousands of years just waiting on us this is what the Holy Spirit gave to Peter and John whenever that Antichrist spirit began to try to suffocate the church and choke it out and make it afraid and keep it quiet. Verse 7, we have a change of speakers again. Jesus is speaking, the anointed. Look what Jesus says in verse 7. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Oh my goodness. You know, this is not that Jesus riding into Jerusalem on that little donkey, meek and mild. This is that Jesus coming back on a great white horse, you know, with, with, with fire in his eyes and with a sharp two-edged sword in his mouth. King of kings and Lord of lords, uh, he is not one bit intimidated by those who call themselves the rulers of this world. He's not one bit intimidated by Satan himself from whom he took the keys of death and hell and triumphed over him and, and made a show of him openly. He is not one bit intimidated by he who will be called the Antichrist or the beast of false prophet. He is not intimidated by presidents and kings and potentates. He is not intimidated by dictators. And even when they bring a coalition together trying to break off his bands, he shall rule them with a rod of iron. For God has given him the nations as his inheritance. The concluding voice in the last three verses is none other than the voice of the Holy Spirit, which is on the earth today, in this last hour, in these last moments, perhaps these last seconds. The Holy Spirit, our guide, our guard, the one who gives us courage and direction, the same one who spoke through prophecy to Peter and John. Look what he says. Now, therefore, be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. 
Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son. What does he say? You need to submit yourself and fall in love with Jesus. Not with God, but with his anointed, with his Son. You are my son. Today have I begotten you. Kiss the son. Fall in love with the son. Bow before the son of almighty God. This was written, you know, 3,000 years ago. Kiss the son, lest he be angry. And rejoice, you know. Rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry. And you perish in the way. When his wrath is kindled but a little, you don't understand. His little thump, and you perish. Don't make him angry, not even a little bit. Blessed are all those, as this psalm concludes in verse 12, blessed are all those who put their trust in him. Well, let me assure you, the Lord is coming. Why do the nations rage? Why do they plot and imagine vain things, empty things? Because of the spirit of the Antichrist that is already at work in the earth. There is an Antichrist spirit behind this worldwide crisis that we are in. It's a spiritual problem. It's not a financial problem. It's a spiritual problem. It's not a health problem. It's a spiritual problem. It's not a problem with governments, with people. It's not a political problem. It's a spiritual problem. And it can only be solved spiritually. As we should follow the same thing that Peter and John and that first church did. We should be lifting up our voices to God and praying for the one thing they prayed for. Grant us, Almighty oh God, boldness that even in the threat even in the face of threats and hardship and loss, even in the in the threat in the in, in the face of threatened economic you know, uh, uh, hardships and downturns, Lord, that we will preach the word of Almighty God, that we will have boldness to proclaim the word, that we would lift up the name of Jesus higher than lifting up the problems, and, and Lord, that we would pay more attention to the word and more attention to the souls that are lost than we do to the threats that are made. I cannot be worried more about what I might lose than I am about what God might lose. So I've set my attention and I've set my affection on making sure that God does not lose those things most precious to him. Those things for which he gave his only begotten son. That's what Peter and John prayed. Because they knew they were in the last hour. They knew it was the last days. They understood their time was limited. And they knew that only the word of God was going to fix the problems they faced. Father, 
In the name of Jesus, sir, we thank you so much for the joy of church and for the honor and the privilege of participating. Lord, so many people participate, Lord, by serving and working, Lord, and being ushers and greeters and uh, working, Lord, in sound, Lord, in media, Lord, and in our coffee bar, Lord, and with our children and our youth, Lord. God, so many people, Lord, working about the things of the house of God, even today, uh, sharing this message as missionaries and, and sending it out, Lord, and, and, and telling other people where they can find the good word of God. Lord, together we're working, Lord, and calling and caring and texting others, Lord, and making sure that, that, that others, Lord, are okay and are connected, Father, and reaching out, Lord, and asking people, have you made Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life? God, these, Lord, are the works of the church, God, that need to be done every day, every week, Lord, for our time is limited, sir. We thank you, Lord, for those who serve and participate, as well as those, Lord, who participate financially, Lord, with their giving of their tithes and their offerings. Lord, we pray that you would receive them, God, and, Lord, that you would rebuke the devourer on their behalf and pour out upon them blessings, Lord, more than they are able to receive, Lord. Let great increase come in these days, Lord. Like the children of Israel, Lord, they went through all the problems and the plagues in Egypt, but the Bible says that when they came out of Egypt, they came out with a mighty hand. They came out wealthy they came out prosperous they came out better than they went in lord i pray father lord that you sir lord would increase your people lord bless us god for a purpose and for a reason not so we can consume it on our own lust but rather lord so that we can be a blessing to others lord bless us lord and make us a blessing to others we pray in jesus name and lord we thank you for the word that's sealed in our heart today we will put our trust in you Lord, we will not fear. And Lord, we will ask ourselves the question, what would Jesus do? And then, Lord, we'll do our best to do that. Help us, Lord, to include you in everything we do. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.